you. Uh, good morning, church family. Uh, I, I, I find myself wearing very big shoes. <laughs> Uh, standing in uh, Pastor Karaba's pulpit is, is a very intimidating experience. Uh, even the pulpit uh, rejected me there, uh, that he would not be able to see me. So that's why I'm, I'm sitting, I'm standing down here. Amen. <laughs> um, but we trust that the Lord will bless our time in the word this morning. Without much ado, let us dig into the word of the Lord. Our text for today is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 5. 1 Peter 2, verse 1 to verse 5. Reading in the ESV, it reads thus. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear him. May we bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word. Through this, your word, we ask, O oh Lord God, strengthen what is weak and failing. Comfort, O oh Lord, those who are disturbed and anxious. And yes, O oh Lord, disturb and convict us where we are complacently comfortable. Expose to us, O oh Lord God, all self-deception, so that seeing we may run to the safety of the cross. May the glory of your name be exalted. And dear Lord, I ask, may you be raised that we be lowered at your feet. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. We proceed under the title, An Invitation to Pursue God. An Invitation to Run to God. By reflecting on these five verses that we have just read, we hope to discover six aspects of this invitation to pursue God. God. We hope to discover six aspects of this invitation to pursue God. Number one, why you can be confident to come. Why you can be confident to come. Number two, what you should not bring as you come. What you should not bring as you come. Three, what you should bring as you come. What you should bring as you come. Number four, how, how you should come, how you should honor this invite. Number five, where or rather we can say to whom you should come. And lastly, why you should come. But before we do that, uh, dear friends, let us take a quick reflection on the background of this first letter of Peter. 
The Apostle Peter wrote this letter to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. Asia Minor is what is presently called Turkey. These Christians were living under the constant threat of physical harm and a definite emotional and spiritual persecution. They were rejected by their families, they were ridiculed and mocked by society for their beliefs, and, and in all respects, they were considered the very scum of society. Therefore, Peter wrote to encourage them. Surprisingly, though, Peter does not encourage them to, to hide away, to, to get into holy huddles, form secret societies of Christ worshippers and sing kumbaya. No one has encouraged them to, to gel in with society, to dilute their message so that it may be acceptable to society. Instead, Peter goes for a counter strategy. Peter goes for, for a God strategy. A divine strategy, which is this. He's saying to these Christians, your focus Take your eyes of the world, take your eyes of the circumstances that you find yourselves in and fix them upon Christ. Fix them upon Christ by doing two things. Number one, consistently, constantly meditate upon the privileged position that you enjoy as the children of God. Never lose sight of who you are. Number two, meditate constantly upon the grace that will yet be given you when Christ will be revealed in glory. He's saying to these Christians, you are in exile down here. Don't, don't expect comfort in exile. Heaven is waiting for you. That is the message, dear friends, of, of 1 Peter in general. But let's look deeper at the five verses that, that we're reflecting on for today. What is Peter's argument? Peter's argument in these five verses is hanging on verse 3 going into verse 4. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, so come. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, so come and keep coming. Yes, an invitation has been given to these Christians. In spite of their sufferings, they can and should come to Christ and then keep coming. They should relentlessly pursue God in the face of Christ. Peter is saying to them, your suffering is the very tool, your suffering is the very agency designed to draw you into fellowship with God. So I ask, do you know, dear friend, that the good esteem of the world and its systems is actually the worst enemy of a Christian? Do you know that a Christian is weakest and poorest when the world loves and accepts and thinks highly of him? Because, dear friends, it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for him. As the Lord himself said clearly, he said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of my name. 
when the world reviles and insults you. Or even better, let's, let's listen to the one whose very call was a call marked out for suffering from the very beginning. He says, I want, this Apostle Paul, he says, I want to know Christ, uh, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the partaking in his suffering. As I do this, if somehow that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, as, as that my life may be raised up. Elsewhere, he says, I'm willing to add what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So there it is, dear friends. If you and I want to know the presence of God, if you and I want to know the power of God in our lives, we must be prepared for life on the second mile. Embrace suffering. Rejoice in suffering but only one condition. Let the suffering be for the sake of Christ and not as evildoers, as, 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 as Pastor Kara would say, that, but not as evildoers, not as arrogant, self-righteous bikers who, who, who really trouble people. But back to our passage. Let, let's, let, let's, let's look at the flow of Peter's thought. Um, it's important uh, Friends, for, for us to, to always remember that you know, the word of God is inspired, but the chapter breaks are not inspired. Amen. What does that mean? The, we, can, we can say with certainty, dear friends, that um, a new thought never starts with soul. A new sentence never starts with therefore. But we look in, 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 we, we look in uh, First Peter chapter 2, the, the very first word in that chapter says, so. What does this mean? The, this means that uh, the word so, by the way, can, can, be, can, be, can also be translated as therefore. This means that by using therefore in, that, in the beginning of verse 1, Peter is referencing what he said in chapter 1. The conditional if, you remember in, in verse 3, if you have tasted, the conditional if therefore in verse 3 re-emphasizes whatever Peter said in chapter 1 as a condition to all that he's about to say to these Christians. Having said this in chapter 1, I say it again, only then will you understand what I'm about to say. That's what Peter is saying. Peter is in, saying, is in, is in, in essence saying that if, oh, oh, only if the things he has been talking about in chapter 1 are true of these Christians, will they correctly do certain specific things that he's about to tell them. And then through doing these specific things, they will be enabled to keep coming to God. And as they keep coming to God, as they keep coming to Christ, certain specific things are going to be happening to them and through them. Now it's important. Uh, what is it? What is this condition? If then. 
What is it that Peter spent time in chapter 1 trying to get them to understand? The answer is this. Peter spent time making sure that they are truly convinced that they have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. He spent time trying to make sure that they are truly born again of the Spirit of God. Therefore, dear friends, we need to do the same. We need to check if you and I qualify for this invitation. Do we qualify to receive this invitation to come to God? Do we qualify to receive this invitation to keep drawing to God? To pursue God. That brings us to our points. Point number one. Why you can be confident to come. Verse 3. Why you can be confident to come. It reads, therefore, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is saying to his audience, on one hand, there are certain responsibilities that a Christian has. On the other hand, there are certain beautiful privileges now and in future. But, and a very big but... All these are exclusively for true Christians. They are only for those who have truly tasted the goodness of God. Now friends, why is it important to get this right? Why is it important to understand the conditions of this invitation? Two reasons. Friends, the, the responsibilities... The demands of the Christian life will become a heavy burden that will crush me if I have taken, that with, taken them up without an invitation. Without a divine invitation. If I should take upon myself the demands, the requirements, the responsibilities of a Christian without a divine invitation, they will crush me. Because being a Christian, dear friends, is divine life. The supernatural life. Number two, the future promises of eternal glory in heaven will be a deception to me. It will be a false hope if you and I appropriate that for ourselves without a divine invitation. As Jesus makes clear, um, he says, it, it is more than possible that, that I can be engaged in church. It's more than possible that I can do all kinds of good things. And one day, on that day, I stand before him and he says to me, who are you? <laughs> I don't know you. So, I should never be in a position that I'm where, where I'm willing to deceive myself. Therefore, dear friends, I must ask, have you tasted that the Lord is good? And how can you tell that you have tasted that the Lord is good? How can you tell that you have tasted that the Lord is good? 
the first immediate test is this. My appreciation of the greatness of the goodness of God will be directly proportioned, will be in proportion to the greatness, to my appreciation of the greatness of God's grace. My appreciation of the greatness of the goodness of God will be in direct proportion to my appreciation of my need for God's grace. I will appreciate God's grace to the extent that I appreciate my total need for it and my total inability to earn it. To the extent that I appreciate how deeply I am in need and how totally I cannot earn it by myself, to that extent, I will appreciate the, to the, the, the greatness of the goodness of God to me. So here is a question to test. Do you, dear friend, believe that you are essentially not such a bad person? Yes, you know, you, you, you know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you just feel, you know, I'm not so bad. Yes, I, I, sometimes I do, I do bad things, you know, so, sometimes I, I get angry, you know, so, sometimes I, I do some things that are not so nice. But, but, but what, I, what I really need, you know, is, is just some nice fine-tuning, you know. It, it's just nice, you know, good motivation, you know, just to, to keep consistently doing things. Is, is that your feeling, dear friend? Is that your feeling? Hmm? Do, do, do you feel, you know, uh, heaven really would be lucky to have me. Let's see, my friends, what the goodness of God would mean to someone who has truly tasted of it by looking at three things. Number one, who you and I used to be. Who, number two, who and what we are right now. Number three, who and what we will be in future. The person who's tasted of the goodness of God needs, has a firm grasp of these three things, who, who, who he used to be, who he is right now, and who he will be. That is effectively what Peter would have spent time talking to them about in chapter one. But, but uh, for, for, for the sake of clarity, for the sake of good summary of what it is, let's go to Ephesians chapter two, verse one to 10. Ephesians chapter two, I read, and you were dead in the trespasses, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit pardon, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead 
in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And that, and raised up, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast." To what end? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I, friends, were dead in trespasses and sins. Meaning, rebellion and hatred for God absolutely ruled over us and continues to rule over anyone who has not tasted the goodness of God. As, 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 as I say this, I'm almost hearing, murmuring, and someone really wanting, wishing to ask, do you really plan to say that even my beloved uncle, my, my beloved brother, my, my beloved colleague who's, who's so kind, who's so gentle, who's, who's so loving, do, do you really mean to say unless they are born again, unless they have received the spirit, are you really planning to say that right now they are dead in sins, they are ruled by lusts? Is that what I'm wanting to say? Yes, dear friends, that is what I'm saying. Better still, that is what the Bible is saying. Because we, we, we find ourselves in a situation where 500 years after, after the Reformation, we still must be able, we, we, we're still needing to, 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 to fight again for a doctrine of justification by faith alone. By works of the law, dear friends, none of us will be saved. And that includes the best of works. There's three, among whom we all once lived. We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Yes, that includes the most gentle, the most loving person I know. The problem, dear friends, is that, is that we have an unbiblical understanding of the problem of a nature of evil. We, we wrongly believe that the essence of evil and wickedness in the eyes of the world is, is similar to our eyes. You see, in our eyes, we look at robberies, we look at murder, we look at, we look at rapes, and we think, that is evil. But is that what God sees? Because the Bible says, yes, that is evil, but that is only the fruits of evil. What then is the essence of evil, dear friends? What then is true evil is a heart that has dethroned God from his proper place and enthroned self. And that, dear friends, that is the real objective evil. And, then, and that is the natural inheritance of all of us. Outside of a Christ, we all conduct ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Flesh meaning self. In the, in the, in the lust to have self make the standard. 
to have self-declare what is true and what is wrong. So that from, from Ephesians, that we, we can clearly therefore understand, friends, that you heard what he said? The last of the flesh and of the mind. What does it mean? I will, the last of, the other translation will say, the last of the body. I will be conquered by this or this, totally depending on simple incidences that I find myself in. If, by, if just by incidence, I, I happen to be a calm person, I happen to be a thoughtful person, yes, I'm not likely to be conquered by the lust of the flesh, but I'll be conquered by the lust of the mind. <laughs> Do you know how it takes place? It takes place like this, dear friends. Uh, if, if I'm this type of person who's, who's naturally calm, you know, naturally thoughtful, naturally self-controlled, and, and I grew up in a good family, depending on my worldview, if, if, if I have a liberal bent, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to be saying, you know, uh, you, you must self-actualize. <laughs> You, you, you must self-actualize, you know, and then, you know, get hold of yourself. But at the end of the day, you see, self is still seated on the throne. And, and if I happen to be of a conservative bent, I'm just going to be a self-righteous Pharisee. But at the end, self is still ruling and God has to bow to self. And the other one, ruled by the last of the body. Now, yes, you know, he, 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 he easily gets angry, you know, he, he, he gets drunk, and he's, you know, in, in immorality of whatever kind. But at the end of the day, both of these have dethroned God. You see, friends, self in nice suits and self in rags are still in rebellion against God. Let's bless God that he's not fooled by this. He sees right to the heart. So that the Apostle Paul can declare all non-righteous, non-righteous, none who seeks God. They all hate God. And such were you and I. But God who is rich in mercy when we did not deserve it. rescued us, freed us from self. A Christian has stated that this real objective goodness and because of this all the conditions of the invitation to follow Christ are a great privilege to him. That brings us to point number two. What not to bring. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and slander of every kind. Because a Christian has tasted of the goodness of God, he eagerly agrees that he is to be holy just as his father is holy. No sin is appealing that he deserves to achieve his thirst for God. The word translated there, friends, as, as malice. It's not the narrow definition that means um, ill will to people. It simply means all wickedness, all evil. 
no distinctions. Anything that violates the moral character of God. So someone who's tasted of the goodness of God will appreciate that it, 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 God is as much grieved by sexual immorality as he's grieved by prejudice, by discrimination of whatever form. All malice. Someone who's tasted of the goodness of God will know that God is not pleased by my outward obedience, which is, which is propelled by, by fear or, or pride. God wants me to worship, obey him with a joyful, submissive heart. Someone who's tasted of the goodness of God will know that my lack of joy, my complaining, my slander and speaking ill of, of others, especially my, my brothers, my, my sisters, that is an affront to God. He will not slander. All these and everything else, we are to throw off a violent action. Throw off, put away. A settled commitment to deal with anything that's an affront to the moral character of God. Then I'm led by the Spirit. As Romans 13, 8, 13 says, I'm led by the Spirit to the extent that I show this. Point number three, what I should bring, verse 2a, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. What I should bring, therefore, to truly come to God and have the Holy Spirit work in both me and to do and to will, I must bring along a very big appetite for the word of God. You see, friends, observations over, over a long time have seen that, you look at a child, within the first hour of childbirth, a child desires breast milk within the first hour of childbirth. They, 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 they say that the tongue sticks out, the head wriggles and, and, and wants to grasp at the nipple. Paul is saying that it should be the instinctive reaction of a Christian, of one who's tasted of the goodness. That, is, that instinctive desire for the word of truth, for the pure word, the spiritual milk. In all its purity and wholeness. Now, friends, we, we must ask, is that true of us? Do I, and remember, he said, come and keep coming. Do, do, do I hunger for God's word as I did or the first week, the first month I was, I, I, I was saved? Do I still hunger for the word of God? Has my appetite decreased or increased? Because we are to be like children, but unlike children, we are to grow in appetite. Or have things crowded out my hunger for God's word? For the word of God. Which brings us to point number four. How should we come? Which we've really answered right now. By it, you may grow up in your salvation. By it, you may grow up in your salvation. We come by the word, dear friends. And yes, even if an angel should come and dispute what is in the word, let him be accursed, Paul says. If any experience that I should have, if, if any experience that I should have that contradicts the word of God, I should just know that, you know, I've had a terrible dose of demonic assault. The Holy Spirit will take the word and remind us of what Christ, has, what Christ has said, and what Christ has said is in the Word. He is the Word. Amen. 
all scripture, not just those that affirm my prejudices. Because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. To what end? So that the servant of God, the child of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Point number five. To whom should we come? To whom should we come? Coming to him. Who is this? The living stone that has been rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. We come, dear friends, to Christ. He alone is the one in whom God is pleased to entrust his plan of redemption. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He alone is the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life. All scripture points towards him. All the, all the redemptive uh, prototypes, of God, they pointed towards him. And one day, he's so precious, and one day every knee will bow and testify that Jesus Christ is to the glory of God. Now, now, friends, it's it's perhaps just 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 take a minute to to see how even us who have made this commitment to to draw to Christ, how easy the wickedness of our heart easily draws us away to other things. Because you see, we we may have put us aside all malice, but you see, the, the, the enemy is not. Too concerned if I put that aside and don't go, don't go to Christ. He's not too concerned. And let's let, let just see that, that two things that normally uh, we withdraw near. We do not come to morality. Come to Christ. Do not come to morality. What is the difference between coming to Christ and coming to morality? Morality has goodness and virtue as ends in themselves. Morality has goodness and virtue as ends in themselves. I'm good because it is good to be good. <laughs> that is not the position of a Christian. I strive after holiness. I strive after goodness because it gives glory to God. For morality, self gets glory. For a Christian, God gets glory. say again, the morality may be a conservative morality, may be a liberal morality, but there's both still morality. Do not, dear friends, come to health, wealth, and prosperity. And you and I sitting here, I know we, we all here believe that the, the prosperity gospel is a perversion of, but do we know the wickedness of our heart? Do, do you remember the question that Peter asked the Lord Jesus? When, 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 when the rich young ruler went away, Peter looked at the Lord and listened to Peter's. You know, this is a very orthodox man. <laughs> Listen to what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, Lord, but we have left everything to follow you. And listen to this question. But what's in it for us? We have left everything. But Lord, what's in it for us? What, what are you going to get from this? <laughs> Do you find yourself asking those type of questions? No, no, Lord, I've left everything. But, 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 um, are you going to give me a beautiful wife? <laughs> do you, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you, 
evil of the human heart. Even while it's orthodox. And lastly, why we should come. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. The last question, therefore, is this. Why has God done all of this? What is the end to which you and I are invited to come to him? We get the answer in this last verse. You and I are called to be a royal priesthood, dear friends, ministering to God and on behalf of God to the world. As the as the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How is that done in the here and now? When a redeemed community of believers has been built up to become his very hands, his very feet, his very mouth, his very eyes in the world, a light shining on a hill raised up to the glory of his grace then the world will look up and ask, how is it possible that the sons of Adam can ever find it in them to, to love so selflessly, so sacrificial, to worship God so reverently, to, to, to have such joy in the midst of suffering and pain and persecution, to live such holy and morally victorious life, to walk so humbly, be so bold and courageous. And then, and then they will come, dear friends, and ask, what has happened to you? then you and I will get the opportunity to answer, to tell them the old Adam is dead. A divine operation has been done. And the lives we live by faith, by the faith, the life we live, the lives we live, the lives we live, we live by the faith of him who loved us and gave himself for us. We therefore count our lives of no value to us if only we may complete the task given us, which is is that to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then, dear friends, they will bow down in brokenness and shout, we want in. We want what we have. And the glory of our Lord and God will, will fill the world. Amen. Shall we pray? Glorious Father, May your grace, O oh Lord God, may the savor, the tasteness of, the good, of your goodness, O oh Lord God, conquer our hearts, conquer our minds, so that we may be glorified. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.